You have been made with a specific purpose and with specific gifts to accomplish your mission. This is Requip, and I am Scott Schneiderman. Stay tuned to gain insights that will help you be more successful in doing the work of ministry. Welcome back to Renew's Discipleship Curriculum Part 3. And here we're going to answer the question and talk through who are we? You know, who in the world do you think you are? You know, this is this is an extremely important question as well. We've been going through this methodically. And if you're just jumping on the podcast, I want to encourage you that this is all being recorded for Renew's Discipleship Curriculum. So go right there to our website, re-quip.org, requip.org. Go to the resources, and you can download all this content for free and go with it through a group, and it's going to be an amazing time. And if you're listening to the podcast, go ahead and subscribe to this and then share it. Greatly appreciate it. We begin to get the message out even more and more. So, so excited we get to come along and do that. But we're talking about who are we? Humans. What are humans here for? Just who are we? What's the state that we're in? I want to start off with the big picture. Because from the beginning of human existence, Satan's primary tactic was aimed at attacking our identity. If we don't know who we are, we will never fulfill God's purpose for our lives. Satan is part of a kingdom that is attempting to make advances based on their objectives. We have to get that. Even though it's a kingdom we can't see, just like the kingdom of God, the kingdom of darkness is a real kingdom. It's a real thing that exists by real leader named Satan or Lucifer. And Satan attacks are not random. We have to get that. If we're looking at Satan's ultimate goal, which you know he has and he wants to get his throne above God, meaning exalt himself above God, Satan looks to limit the combat effectiveness of God's people who have been given the ministry of reconciliation. The basic principles of warfare apply in both the spiritual and the physical world. In looking at our culture, our family, our friends, media, social media, all these things are driving factors in our lives and, and they begin to try to answer these questions of our identity for us. It's not as if we're on a level playing field. We're not in a neutral playing field. We have a real enemy, and we have a real world and culture and all these things around us that are trying to tell us who we are. If you don't believe me, just scroll through social media. If you don't believe me, just turn on the television or watch YouTube. They're going to bring in advertisements to try to tell you this is who you are. And hey, you're not there yet, but you need this product to get you to where you need to be. So we have so many influences in our lives, making it very difficult at times to discern what the truth is. Obviously, Satan doesn't do everything. Like, we don't want to pretend that Satan is behind every single thing that exists. But we do have constant messages that shape what we think about ourselves. And that's something we really need to get across and we need to understand. So I want us to be open to the notion that the way that we currently see ourselves is undoubtedly skewed the way that we see ourselves in some way. Can we just be open to the idea 
that how you see yourself isn't exactly 100% accurate. We, we just need to go into that with this. And that maybe the way that God sees you and the way that God views you is very different than you actually think that you see yourself right now. Because I believe God's going to do some growth. And he's going to grow in us and we're going to see more accurately to how he's made us. So let's commit right now to hearing from God. And, and then we can adjust our thinking as he tells us from his design in his purpose. No matter how mature you are, there is always some area in which you can grow. And we know that our view of God determines how we approach him, as we talked about before. But our view of ourselves has almost equally importance of how we approach God. God wants us to know that you were designed to be sons and daughters in the kingdom, which is known as sonship. So I want to move on now to key takeaways. And if you've downloaded this curriculum, this is where you'll begin to start filling these things in, take notes, you know, take ownership of this and begin to study this out. The identity crisis was from the very beginning. From the beginning when sin began to enter the world. And the Bible tells us about this story. It starts in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, and it's in chapter 3. I mean, it started quickly. You know, God created everything, Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 2 was specifically on the relational side of God with humanity. Then it doesn't take long. Genesis chapter 3, we mess it all up. But this is a key point to take away. You are tempted with good things, ultimately to be like God. That might change the way you think about a lot of things, but no, you are tempted with good things. We, we hear about temptations that, oh, they're, they're bad things. Well, yes, because it's slightly skewed from where we ought to go, but we are tempted with things that are inherently at the very core, something good that God's actually put in you to do. Sin is doing something in, at incorrect timing, manner, or motivation. I want us to consider Jesus's temptation because we learned so much because Jesus was perfect. He he had the nature of God, but he also had 100% of a nature of a human. So he's very much like us. He was living a human experience, but having access to God, just like we do. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. And Jesus came in that same nature, the same way, the same nature. But when we mess things up, you know what it is? We're probably being tempted with something that's that's good to the very core, like to be acknowledged or to have significance or to be valued or to um, correct a wrong. You know, there's these different things that at the core, man, that's that's good. That's that's like God. That's that's how you were created. But when we mess up is when we take the bait and do something in the incorrect timing, incorrect manner, or incorrect motivation. So Jesus' temptation was in Luke chapter 4, 1 through 13. And I encourage you, as you're going through this, go ahead and look those verses up. Luke chapter 4, 1 through 14, and just read through that. But what you'll find is exactly what I said, that Jesus, who never sinned, but was tempted just like all of us, but he was tempted with things that were inherently good, but if he were to act them out, they would be in the wrong timing, the wrong manner, 
or the wrong motivation from when God actually intended for it to be done. Now I want to move on to what is Satan's strategy. You know, maybe you hear this, you're like, uh, okay, I, I believe in Jesus and God and you know, there's the world, and I believe in heaven, and you know, all that, but Satan, like, really? Yes, Satan really exists. Jesus talked about Satan a lot, because Jesus was actually there in heaven with the Father, with the Holy Spirit, when Satan rebelled against God, when Satan was a perfect angel. His name was Lucifer. He was over worship in heaven, and he chose to rebel against God because he thought his ways were better, and guess what? He uses the same strategy with all of us. In 1 John chapter 2 and 16, it says, let me start back in John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. I want you to get this. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. And this is the key part in 16. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. And then 17, the world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So did you catch that? The three lusts that he has, the three temptations, a lust is just a desire. We typically think of lust in terms of sexual lust, like sexual immorality of some way, but it's not only that. A lust is just meant to be a desire. Desires aren't inherently wrong, but they are gateways into getting us to do something because a lust is a desire, then these different gateways are pathways to get us the information which is the temptation. And it's lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Have you ever heard the term clickbait? You probably have. You've seen something uh, enough times, it's come across maybe your social media feed, or maybe you've been looking online and there's those advertisements that are on the side of the webpage, or uh, just things that come up, and you see it enough times, and the algorithms, and the advertiser, they know exactly what you're interested in or what you, somebody with your demographic, maybe the types of things you've looked at long enough, you've scrolled over because all those things are logged and um, advertisers get that information and then they feed you information that you might be willing to click on. And with enough repetition, enough times of seeing the same things that they already know that you think is desirable because you've hovered over it for long enough. You've maybe clicked on things like it. You're part of the same types of groups. Maybe you're in a certain age range for something that you're likely to click on. And that's exactly what it is with lust of the eyes. Satan knows, here's his tactics. He knows the things that your eyes sort of look at a little bit longer than they ought to. And sometimes it's not necessarily wrong, but he can get you to uh, present these things in God's wrong timing, manner, or motivation. And eventually, you'll click on it. Eventually, you'll open that door. Eventually, you will go down that path. That's why we just need to 
we just need to shut those things out the best we can. And we're all guilty of letting, you know, tempting a little too much and flirting a little too much with temptation. So we need to shut those things out because eventually we'll fall into it. The next thing is the lust of the flesh. Lust of the flesh is the appeal of sin through our felt experience or senses. This is typically what we think of when we think of sexual immorality, things that are are for our senses or sensuality, but it's not only sex. It can also be through food. You know, we get a desire, we get a, a good feeling when we eat certain types of food, and that's not inherently bad, but... When we do things with excess or it becomes an idol or it begins to make us more and more unhealthy, it's almost like a poison even though it tastes good, it can become a sin to us. And so whatever that is for you, and not everybody's tempted with the exact types of things, but everybody's tempted with lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, or the pride of life. The next thing is the pride of life. So the pride of life is being proud about personal accomplishments or status pride of life is often one of those tricky sins this is one of those those things we don't typically know about ourselves this is almost always some kind of blind spot that we have we don't see it but typically people around us can see it but sometimes not because sometimes the pride of life, especially in our culture now, there's some socially acceptable sins that we can kind of partake in dealing with the pride of life. You know, it, it, for us, it could be having that status of a, of a job title. Maybe it's even in ministry. Maybe it's you're a small group leader. You, you have you get some sort of satisfaction over being called a leader in that way. Or maybe it's a um, worship leader or or a pastor in some way or um, whatever it is it can that my point is it can even be in ministry it can be in anything satan doesn't care he wants you to go down this path of being proud of your life and the things that you've accomplished and getting status from these things outside of the identity of god so even if things that that seem inherently good they can be skewed if they're not done in the right timing, manner, or motivation. I'm going to run through a few scriptures here. Uh, there are going to be some fill in here, but go back and read these scriptures. It's powerful and see what I'm saying is true, seeing that these things that we're talking about are actually true. We're going to talk about the impact of what is known as the fall. The fall is simply the sinful fall of humanity. It's when Adam and Eve both were the first in their species to sin, to, to disobey God. That's what we call the fall. The first thing is we are spiritually dead in sin. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. We are spiritually dead. We are separated spiritually from God. And that's ultimately what this fall does. It separates aspects of us. The next thing is, it gives us a sin nature. And that's talked about in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, and also Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. A sin nature. A sin nature doesn't mean we have to sin. It doesn't mean we're predisposed and we must sin. That's not what sin nature means. 
And that's not what those scriptures tell us. What the, what the Bible tells, what God tells us, is that uh, from the fall, because our great, 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 great daddy and mommy sinned, and all everyone since then has sinned, we've been uh, passed down certain proclivities, certain desires that are not good, but they're slightly skewed. Um, that is what it means to, to have a sin nature. It, it means those things we want to do, but we know we shouldn't do. Like, we actually know that we shouldn't do it. But it's sort of within our nature, so we have to fight against that. The next thing is we are hostile to God. That's what it means to be impacted by the fall. We are hostile to God. We're not just, you know, a product of, of our nature and product product of the, the fall from oh no because adam and eve sinned then i'm separated well yeah you are but it's also we've become hostile to god like we're we're against god tells us that in romans chapter 8 verse 7 and then hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 it's what's called and this is it depends on what translation this is king james here but besetting sins and what that means are sins that are almost like in your dna so, like, if from your family, you have a line of people that are alcoholics, well, guess what? You probably have a higher degree that you're, you could be an alcoholic. Uh, the same thing with maybe your, um, your dad was a womanizer, you know, and, and maybe his dad and, and dad before that. Well, guess what? It doesn't mean that you are going to um, give in to those types of sins. But it does mean you have more of a proclivity to do those things because it's sort of passed out. There really is something too, things being passed out, even our genetic code. You know, the truth is the things that we think about create new pathways and actually creates new nodes in our brain. And that's all stored in our genetic code. And that's the same thing with when we do something. Well, guess what? That is being stored as a learned behavior. And those things can be passed down. We know that. The next thing I want to talk about is God sees us as an adopted son or daughter. So we talked about the impact of the fall. That's who you are if you've never put your trust and faith in Jesus. That's how all of us are, man. We've been impacted by things that are outside of our control. But the truth is we've also given in to those things we know we shouldn't do. We've sinned when we know that wasn't our best. You know, even you could talk to anybody and say, hey, you know, um, you think it's better to do what's right or to do what's wrong. They're like, yeah, I have my own standard and I try to do what's best. And then you start to ask them questions about their own standard. And they're like, yeah, well, I don't always do that. But because the truth is we judge ourselves by our best intentions and we judge everybody else most critically on their worst examples. Isn't that true? But God sees us as adopted son and daughter. Now, your identity isn't tied to your performance, but it's based on the cross. You've got to get that. Your identity isn't where you came from. It isn't even what you've done. When you put your faith in Jesus, your identity is now no longer tied to your performance, but it's tied to the cross. What does that mean? You are not a slave, but an heir. Tells us that in Romans chapter 8, verse 17. We no longer are somebody that is a slave that serves out of duty. That's what a slave does. A slave serves 
out of duty, but a son and daughter serves out of devotion. Tells us that in Luke chapter 10, 38 through 41. And that has everything to do with how we approach God. The next thing I want to talk about is how we approach God. And these are the approaches to God. And, and I want you to get this. This is going to be some, some detail here. This might shape the way you think. This might change some things, but you got to get this. How you see matters. How you see matters. Genesis 2.9 and then also Genesis 3 verses 5 and 6. Listen to what it says in Genesis 2.9. This is something, this is what God was telling Adam about the garden. We know the story of, of Adam and Eve. They were in the garden of um, Eden and uh, there God put some, all these different plants and just, they could, they could go anywhere. They could have pleasure from, from different foods and, and you know, they could uh, be with animals, you know, they were, they were basically vegetarians, the, the animals wouldn't eat them. It was a very different experience than what we have now. But here's what God said. He says, the trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. So he, he says, hey, these things I've made, these trees, these are good. These are pleasing to the eye. They're good for food. But he did say, you know, stay away from this one tree. And he's basically telling Adam, hey, and, and also instruct your family, you know, men out there, men instruct your family. And that was the model here. Hey, Adam, I'm going to give you everything. I'm going to give you free reign on everything. But I'm going to keep something from you that is not good for you. This will not help you. This will hurt you. Everything else will help you grow. This will actually get you killed. This will this will separate you from me. So don't go after this one tree. It's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't do that. But so listen to how Satan tempts Eve. So the next chapter, Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, listen to what Satan actually says. You know, he tells him, hey, did God really say this? And and he kind of separates the relational side of God and makes him a distant God. A distant God that doesn't know their situation, doesn't know what they've been through, doesn't know, man, you have these desires. Why would God try to keep something good from you? And listen to how Eve interprets that temptation. She sees that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. Listen to this. Before that, Satan introduced the lie that causes Eve to see differently. As I talked about, it's important how you see. He said, when you eat from, when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Genesis 3, 5. So this is important. Notice that God made the tree good, but Satan lured Eve just with the fruit. Isn't that interesting? Not only was she lured to the fruit, but the motivation behind wanting the fruit was a sin. God called the tree good, and that represented the source. But Eve saw only the fruit was good. Satan wants us to stop relying on God, who is the source, and long after the blessing, which is the resource or the fruit. We can be tricked and we can be lured away by something that looks like good fruit. We don't see clearly when it comes to seeing fruit necessarily. 
But God says you'll always be true in getting close to me and seeing the truth when you go after the source. So the first thing we learn from this is the tree of knowledge was one of them. That was one approach. That is how they went to God was the tree of knowledge. This is what I can get from God. This is what I can get from the things that God made. Knowledge. I just, I want that. The next thing that God actually set up that he wanted them to go to, which was represented him as the source, was the tree of life. The tree of knowledge of good and evil is trying to do good things in your own power. This is generally what we mean by religion. Religion is all about what we do for God. However, God wants us to live in the tree of life. The tree of life is where we are connected to God. That's exactly where he wants us to live. So how you see actually matters. If you believe what God said, you're going to go after the source. You're going to go after the tree or the root. You're not going to be deceived by the fruit that's out there. And we're going to be tempted by those things. But God says, no, go back to me. Just trust in the source. I'll give you everything that you need. And you won't leave empty. You won't leave regretting. You'll leave fulfilled and joyful. And you'll be wanting to pass that out to more and more people and point people to the tree of life. So I hope this has been beneficial to you. And if you're going through this with a group, make sure that you go through those questions and those these sessions are so important. You know, we don't want to just learn these things. We want to come together as a group because that's where the Bible says that we really find healing is when we talk about these things, we confess our sins one to another so that we can be healed. We find out in the book of James. So I just encourage you to do that. And we're going to learn some things. We're going to get into, man, how do we really apply these things later on? So hang in there. Keep going. Thank you so much for listening and studying through God's Word as we're continuing in Renew Discipleship Curriculum. And we want you to follow God's command. Always be prepared for action.